part we need to ponder. Um, let's make a plan because who knows, I might not have another coughing fit and I might lose my voice. So PJ, I'm going to hand this to you. You just click through it. People will make up their own sermon based on what's on the screen. And for sound people, if I go down and camera view, if I go down off the stage, don't follow me. Just turn my mic off because it probably means I'm going to be coughing and you don't need to hear that in the microphone, do you? No is the answer to that question, by the way. All right. Um, we're in our Extraordinary Ordinary series, and um, we put these funny words together because that's kind of how the message of Jesus works, is that you have ordinary everyday people, and we're going to look at a whole bunch of those people through the course of our Advent series, and you have extraordinary events, and it's really the coming together of those two things that makes um, Christianity, makes the following of Jesus. That's what this whole deal is about. Um, next week, by the way, you are going to see a play in which you will learn about the same people we're going to be talking about in the sermons. So the sermons are basically an extension or expansion on the play you'll see next week. Um, and all of this, of course, is just to leave us in a place where we're meditating on the extraordinary God and his presence in our lives, in our very often ordinary lives. So today, we're going to start with empire versus shalom. Um, and hopefully that becomes clear as I unpack this passage to you, that there's some empire and shalom stuff going on here. I want to suggest to you, and I will give credit to Bema, because pretty much everything that I need to say to you that I give credit for is from Bema. That they will show you throughout the Bible, um, and if you're listening along, because I hear many of you are, um, throughout the Bible there is this battle between empire and shalom. Um, the Exodus, Pharaoh was all about empire. When the people were in the desert learning God's ways of shalom, being prepared as a, as a community, they wanted to go back to Egypt because empire is attractive, it seems safe, it seems powerful. And um, Along with thinking about how empire and shalom work in the Bible, which is always a good idea, I also want you to pay attention to the fact that most of us are easily drawn towards the empire side of things. Can I say that that gently? So one of the questions we need to have in our mind as we walk through this Advent journey is, are we Canadians who happen to go to church or are we Christians, followers of Jesus, shalom people, who happen to be Canadian? Right? I don't mean that to diss the soccer game that's coming, go Canada, right? Let's do that. But recognize that as people of power, which most of us, generally speaking, are, right? The Bible is often speaking to us in a way that says, be incredibly careful, if not speaking even more harshly than that. Because power is incredibly dangerous and we are middle class and upper middle class people, we have a fair amount of power in this world. And the Bible is always warning against that and then showing up in ways that says, how about we go to a place of shalom instead of a place of empire or power? So that's what we're going to be thinking about. So it starts with empire. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar, he's counting his prizes, right? He's counting his money, because why do you do a census? To find out how much tax you're going to get, right? He didn't do it to get votes because nobody voted for Caesar. He just got in there, right? 
Caesar was counting his empire and saying, look at all the people, the lands, right? Rome was an empire, the Roman Empire, that's pretty obvious, right? But it was all about power and domination, right? And the Israelites, when Jesus came, were under Roman domination, under the empire. But it's very interesting that when Jesus has done his work, he's about to go to heaven, Acts chapter 1, his disciples say to him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom, and I think they might have meant empire, to Israel? Because they thought that once we get rid of that empire, we can put in place again our empire. And that's something we all need to pay attention to. Because we all know which powers are above us and over us that we don't like, and we don't like to be controlled and managed and all those things. But once you have freedom, however you define that, the real question is, which empire or emperor or king or kingdom are you going to allow to rule you? Sometimes, and we need to pay attention to this, because sometimes throughout history, maybe too many times throughout history, Christianity itself, even though it's following Jesus, who we're going to see is the Shalom master, Christianity has gone on the side of empire and power. Now, we all love to blame, if we know our history, Constantine back in 313 with the Edict of Milan. You can look that up in your history book and so on. But it's still, more relevantly, an issue for us to pay attention to now. Do we believe in Christianity as that which dominates those around us? Do we see evangelism as making people think like us? Or do we see this as bringing shalom and peace and service to the lowliest and the weak around us and among us? Caesar was about empire. The story starts recognizing empire, recognizing Caesar, and then it shows us empire in action. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Quirinius was so difficult to pronounce that Teresa was smart enough not to read that part of that verse. Way to go, Teresa. I don't know if you know she did that, but you did. Quirinius was a result of empire. He was the governor because he worked hard and he got ahead and he fought well in wars, right? He was a great athlete. He was all those things that would allow him to rise to the top, right? And pay attention when I say that because I think that's kind of how we often evaluate our world as well, do we not? Who has worked, hard in this, worked hardest and risen to the top and become governor or some other kind of prestigious position? And this is the other way empire works. Everyone went to their own town to register. Empire likes to control people and manage them and push them and show them, right, where they need to be and how they need to stand and all those kinds of things. Empire is about control and power, and we need to be deeply aware of those realities. However, throughout the Bible, there's what I want to call empire providence. Providence is the hand of God at work in all things and, and overseeing all things in the end. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, where he was living, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because that was the hometown of the line of David, right? And it doesn't say this here, but what that does is that fulfills Scripture. So God does this all the time. Empire comes in, the power of humans comes in and tries to manage things and force things in its direction for its benefit and its purposes, and God says, I can use that and use it for his end, right? We're going to see later some particular ways that God does that also um, in his story. And then I got to give you a spoiler alert. Verses 5, 6, and 7, that's the Christmas story. That's when Jesus is born. We're not doing that today because it's not Christmas yet. 
right? Probably felt a little strange. We're starting Advent and we already read Luke 2. That's because we're kind of looking around the whole Christmas story. We jumped right into Christmas and we're going to sit there all the way until um, December 25th. Side note, I think we should always do Christmas all the way through December. Ruthann disagrees with me, so we're not making eye contact right now. And that also means it's not going to happen. But um, only if we spend the rest of the year in waiting and anticipation, right? Because Christmas supposed to go from December 25th all the way to my birthday, which is the 12th day of Christmas, January 6th. I will take presents. Why not? Right? But we stop Christmas maybe at Boxing Day at best, unless you have a family gathering the following week, right? So we never have time to sit in Christmas. So my suggestion, it's just mine, it probably will never happen, is that we move Christmas backwards, do what the world is doing with all of December is Christmas, and then we move merrily on our way. That's the part of the sermon you don't need to remember, just in case you're wondering. Super ordinary. So extraordinary, we know, means the opposite of ordinary. Extraordinary is outstanding. I want to suggest to you that super ordinary is just plain ordinary. It's so ordinary, it's super ordinary. Right? So this line. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks that night. That's like saying... There was a lineup at Tim Hortons drive-thru at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Do you ever come home and report that? Wow, there's a lineup at Tim Hortons in the, dri- in the drive-thru. You're like, wait, yeah, so? Every day, every day, every night, shepherds would do this. So the point of this is definitely not going to be, wow, for once there were shepherds out at night watching their flocks. No, that happened all the time. And when you've just gone through Caesar, the emperor, Quirinius, the governor, David, the great king of Israel, and then a baby born, the spoiler alert apart, to a virgin and laying in a major. And the next thing you say is, oh, by the way, there were shepherds out at night watching their flocks. You got to ask why. Why are we talking shepherds here? What's going on? And that's what we're going to look into. Not coughing, just a water break. Talk amongst yourselves. Here's maybe why. Who are these shepherds? Genesis 29, Jacob is off to find a wife, basically. He comes to his uh, uncle Laban's place. And while he was still talking with Laban's workmen, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. So that picture of our young girls, I think they're in about grade six. That was part of our art here. That's not that far off of who the shepherds might have been. Some shepherds were likely young girls in a family whose job it was to lead the sheep and gather them by night. I know we mostly think of old bearded men, right? But chances are, like Rachel, the first people to get the announcement of Jesus' birth were little girls, right? And when you got Caesar in the story, and it's little girls who hear the announcement— that's no longer just ordinary, and it's definitely not super ordinary. That's already become extraordinary. God seems to have this amazing and strange way of wanting to reach out and grab the people who we are 
least expecting to be the ones to get what they receive. We're going to look at the Magi next week, or two weeks. Um, Brady's going to look at those guys, so I'll say a little bit now, right? They come to Jerusalem to the king, to the palace, of course, because they're expecting there to find where the new king's been born, and they got nothing. They know nothing about it, right? Jesus, God, has this way of saying, I'm going to go to the place you least expect me, and that demands of us that we think in following Jesus, how do I start wondering where God's showing up and where he's at work that I'm not expecting it, right? We kind of expect it to happen here, I hope. But where are the places in your life that are least Christianized, whatever that means to you, where you might actually see God powerfully at work there? Who are the shepherds in your world? Another shepherd reference to help us understand them. This is when Joseph is working for Pharaoh, um, and his brothers come and find him, and his whole family starts to move there because they're living in famine. And he says this. He's coaching his brothers. He says, when Pharaoh asks you, what is your occupation, you should answer, your servants have, been, have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Ouch. All shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So Egypt is empire, and God sends in his shepherd people and finds them a place of peace, the land of Goshen, right, which was a fertile place where what happens? They grow and they multiply and they become a problem only because there's so many of these hopefully peace-loving shepherd folk living in that area. That's who the shepherds are, the, detest the people who are detestable to the empire, right, but are the people of God. And this is the next chapter, 47. This is this repeated role. Pharaoh says to Joseph, and if you know of any among them, any of your brothers with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock, right? So what was Joseph's job? He went there and God showed up, right, in dreams to him and showed him interpretations. And um, through that, he rose to the top, became right-hand man to Pharaoh. Esther, same kind of a thing, right? She became the queen in Vashti's place and rose up to that place of power for such a time as this. God regularly takes his people of peace, his shalom people, and lets them rise up in the empire system. Now, here again is that danger, not to become empire people, but within God's providence, within God's leading, in the empire system to rise up and be people of peace. I can't explain how that's exactly going to work in your situation. That's for you to figure out. But understand this. God's way of shalom is that wherever you work in this empire that we live in, in this system that we live in, make sure that you are a person who brings peace there, who isn't just living in the system, but challenging it with ways of peace and caring encounters as we've been talking about um, in this season. And then the extraordinary angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were justifiably terrified, right? Shepherds doing exactly what shepherds do at night, a couple of them sleeping because one would take watch, and suddenly God in his fullness shows up and terrifies them. 
Because when God shows up in our world, there's something about it that's terrifying. There's something about it that shows, that puts us off, um, off balance. And this is Isaiah 40 that was read. Notice the similarities. Here are these messengers. Here's, here's about the messengers. Angels are messengers. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. And look what they say. It's a message of fear and hope. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Remember those words. Say to the towns of Judah, that's what we're talking about here in, in Luke 2, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. What happens in Luke 2? Look at these words. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that, I will, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David in Judah, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Right? This message was anticipated, was expected, because God has always been coming about with his powerful arm. Notice that's what the angel, the angel talks about. He comes with his powerful arm, right? He's going to make a difference. Now notice, wait a minute. Can I back up? I can. It only helps to back up if you know what you're looking for and you can find it. Hmm. Someone back me up a few slides. Thank you. Yeah, one more. Hmm. Never mind. I didn't quote it, apparently. Stay there. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for. See the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. So when you hear this message that an angel comes, he terrifies the shepherds, or an angel comes, it's talked about in Isaiah, right? He's got this message of power, and he says, the sovereign Lord is going to come with power. He rules with his mighty, har mighty arm. You're probably expecting that somebody's going to get wiped out, right? It's going to be a power play. This is it. He tends his flock like a shepherd. What does he do with his arms? He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. I know it's tempting because, let's admit it, we've been attracted by empire power kind of things to think that what we want God to come back and do is wipe out all those bad people, all of our enemies, all the ones who don't think like us. And yet whenever God says, I'm going to come with power, the way he comes with power is he takes his strong and mighty arms and he embraces people in love. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. God is not a God of empire. He's not putting a different empire in place so that he can control and he can manage and he can dominate. We've been attracted to that idea. But when God comes, he comes to the shepherds to be a shepherd and to embrace people in his loving arms. And this will be a sign to you and it's extraordinarily ordinary. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I don't think that was that strange either, by the way. Right? Their houses weren't like ours, where you have a house over here and the farms are somewhere else and all those kinds of things. Right? It was an integrated kind of reality that they lived in. But that this baby was the son of God, that God says, I'm going to come down and hang around with you people in a lowly place, in an average, ordinary, maybe even less than ordinary kind of a place, that's where I want to show up. That's where I'm going to be with you. 
that's the kind of place I want to meet you in, right? And then the angels who are messengers told the message to the shepherds, and now they become the messengers. Have you ever noticed that we don't like doing evangelism? Here's a fun one. Put up your hand if you'd like to do evangelism. And I know you're not going to put up your hand because then you know I'm going to get you to do something for me. We don't like to do evangelism because we have this sneaking suspicion that evangelism is about empire. That evangelism works like this. I'm going to out-talk you, out-think you, out-know Jesus you, so that I can dominate you into coming onto my team and understanding what I understand. Yeah, and if that's what evangelism is in your mind, I can see why you fear it. You might not win that game, and it's not the game. So why do the shepherds become evangelists here? Why do they become messengers here? Because they can't keep their mouths shut, right? They saw something, and they were told to go look at something else, and it was there, and they're going, wow! And like anybody who's been to an awesome event, whatever is your favorite awesome event, you tell people, hey, guess what I did last night? Guess where I went? Guess who I talked to? Guess what we talked about? So perhaps for us to love evangelism, because there's a few of us who like talking, perhaps for us to love evangelism, we've got to put ourselves in that place, that shepherd kind of place, that super ordinary kind of place, where Jesus is at work, where God is at work, and sit there and wonder, God, what are you doing? And when we see what he's doing in the strangest of places, you'll start talking. You'll want to share. But maybe we've got to go there. Maybe we need to allow ourselves to be in that place where we become messengers too. God in all his power connects with the everyday and the ordinary when making his moves. And if that's the way God in all his power works, we in our limited abilities, whatever power we have, are called to go to those same kind of places and see how God might show up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for again sharing with us the story of your arrival in this world. And today as we see those everyday shepherds have an extraordinary experience, we thank you that you again are reminding us that you go to the people of peace, that you go to the lowly places, and that you pick them up, but you continue to call us to be a people who love and embrace the way you loved and embrace us. And so we pray, help us see you at work and help us go where you are. This we pray in your holy name, amen.